get right to it. I uh, got suspended from YouTube for a second time, so I'm off YouTube for two weeks. I had on what? I had it on the first time I had on Claire Lopez, CIA veteran of 20 years, talking about election fraud. Kind of had a feeling I was going to get suspended for that. That was like a month ago. It's whatever. On Friday, I had on um, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, an old white-haired English doctor, MD, PhD from Cambridge, verified American Board of Pathologists, came on and said that he he wasn't an anti-vaxxer, he wasn't a, a, a COVID denier, he just said that he didn't think lockdowns worked because it's a virus and we're trying to we're trying to tackle a, a microscopic thing with macroscopic um, <clears throat> I guess responses like, that got taken down quote spreading medical misinformation and contradicting official information from the World Health Organization so um, whatever fuck them I, I, I don't I don't care I can't I can't play that game. So once this suspension's up, which will be up in 14 days, or 13 days now, I am I get one more strike before I'm permanently deleted. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start uploading like 10-second previews to YouTube. I'm going to be like, hey, you know, episode 413 of Dale Comstock, I'm scared of getting banned from YouTube, so come over to Rumble and BitChute and Spotify because I can't. Like, I can't play their game. I don't mean, like, I don't have the patience to, which I don't. But I mean, like, I actually don't know what's going to get me banned next. So, but enough about that petty drama bullshit. Dale no, it's not actually, it's, it's actually, that's actually not petty, man. And, uh, you know, so you have a medical expert <laughs> that's given a medical opinion. And basically, somehow, it's invalid because YouTube says it doesn't fit the narrative of the World Health Organization, which is also very questionable, their narrative, right? I mean, yeah. um, you know, and so, you know, and YouTube has stopped becoming a platform for just information. Now they are actually, you know, they are now, you know, publisher. regulating, re yeah, exactly, a publisher. They have gone down that same rabbit hole. And, and, and look, it's not by accident. They are deliberately doing that, and they are deliberately in collusion with the far left. Um, they are basically one of their propaganda wings, you know, um, to for for whatever their agenda is. And I, I got to tell you, man, I have to wonder. Okay, there's got to be some pretty smart people that run, you know, these businesses because they were able to create it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, being educated doesn't mean you're intelligent. And so what we have is a bunch of educated fools, you know, even in YouTube at the highest level that are making these decisions, they're educated fools, useful idiots. They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And here they are, you know, passing judgment, not on, not on any kind of fact. You know, what they're actually doing is, well, you know, they're on one hand, they're going, oh, science says, you know, the World Health Organization uses science, and they say, and you bring a guy on that's also a medical expert, just because you don't work for the World Health Organization, doesn't mean he's not an expert or more qualified than any staff member on, on the World Health Organization, CD, uh, CDC, yet somehow his science is invalid. Mm -hmm. I don't get that, man. Right. And so, um, you know, so it's gotten to the point now where we can no longer have an opinion. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's if it's if it's not their truth, it's a lie, mm-hmm. right? And and that's what's the sad part about what's going on today. And you and I have to be very careful what we say anymore, mm-hmm. um, because everything can be taken out of context. Um, how many times? You know, Joe was telling me um, he literally has people threatening him because of just free speech of what we've been talking about and and literally reporting him to the FBI like he's done something wrong. And uh, and that's what's so scary is we could say anything and it could be it could be maligned or interpreted any way that they want it to sound mm-hmm. and, and jeopardize our welfare. That day is coming, man, not just for you, but for everybody on the right. And that's not the far right. I was reading an article this morning um, on uh one of these news feeds and uh they were talking about um you know a um what is it a white lives matter movement um there's going to be rallies in across america in certain cities right but they weren't able to narrow down you know who when where you know exactly you know you know what is going to take place and stuff like that but one of the things they made one of the things they said in this comment was um white lives matter movements far right extremists um, will be rallying, you know, and, and basically, you know, perpetuating their, you know, extremist white views. And I'm like, wait a goddamn minute, you know, um, how is that any different from Black Lives Matter? And what makes these people extremists just because they want, they say white lives matter, which they do, right? Just like Black Lives Matter. And so here we, so we are in a, we are in a, a propaganda war, man. It's an information war. And um, it's a it's a war of the minds, okay. And I hate to go off on a tangent, but uh, so you know, most people don't believe or don't even realize we are actually in, in the third world war. They believe that the wars are fought with bullets and missiles, okay. Well, that's um, you know that's passe, man, because now we don't need we don't need rockets and bullets to destroy a culture, a country right um a race all we need we look we've got digital we have digital weapons at hand and that's exactly what's happening they're using digital weapons you know the media the internet um you know they TikTok. you know things like that are being used not not just you know so people are going well how's TikTok? you know people singing and dancing well it's not that part Right, that's the distractor. It's what's what's behind the curtain, right? What what are they what are they doing? They're collecting data. They're collecting information. They're using they're using TikTok for one example as a means, a highway, a pathway to get it within our infrastructure, or especially our electronic infrastructure. Um, it's a method of infiltration, right? And what and every war is not what one with with guns and weapons. Ultimately, it's one one with intelligence, right? Um, you know, I think even Sun Tzu said it, you know, I can't remember who said it, but one of these guys said it, it was basically in order to win the war, you got to win the intelligence war. If you can win the intelligence war, you can beat their, you can beat the opponent's strategy before it even starts. Mm-hmm. You've won the war, right? And so um, that's what this is about. Um, look, we could be, we could be conquered. We can be destroyed. We can, you know, we can be enslaved by other countries without a shot ever being fired Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what's going on because what they've done was over the years um they have infiltrated the minds of our youth through through our our, you know our educational institutions and they have inculcated this mindset that 
American history is wrong. It's false. They've tried to erase it. Um, they have basically brainwashed these people and believing that the that the that white people are the are the evil ones. That we are the racist and and you know and everybody else is a victim and that they deserve social justice and. Um, it's a psyops war is what it is ultimately it's a psychological war and and they're winning they're winning they're winning the minds of the naive in our country um and they're getting them when they're young that's the best time to do it you know from the age of one to seven our minds are super fertile man we are in you know full receptive mode man whatever data comes in you know that's what we're plugging into the program for life literally Mm -hmm. um so, you know, and I'll, I'll fall back on a little bit of my trainings. Um, what I do for my coaching is, you know, by the t- first from year one to year seven, um, we are very subjective to what we call download hypnosis, right? Especially from our parents. What our parents tell us, how, how they respond, their emotions has a lot to do with our, our uh, emotional development as we grow up. Not only theirs, but also what we perceive like on TV and what we hear, right? Just in casual conversation. Um, these things become part of our psyche. And then up until around the age of 35, um, we are already programmed with about 95% of our working information, right? Our operational information, 95% is already loaded up. Unfortunately, 50% of that information is false. It's bad information. In fact, throughout the day, you know, there's different experts out there that will tell, and I say experts, I'm talking about people that are uh, medical doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, physicists will tell you that we think about 70,000 thoughts a day um, and roughly 60,000 thoughts a day are redundant and negative, okay? And then if you think about all that and you think about half that information and half that thoughts is, is based on false data. Um, it's no wonder we're goofy, right? And if you and if you already proved pre-programmed kids, um, even by the time they're 35 years old, they are indoctrinated into a mindset that uh, is is you know halfway wrong, and probably it's whatever whatever dominates their their way of thinking, right? Whether it's you know negative or positive, whether it's you know socialism or communism or capitalism or whatever's been you know inculcated in their mindset um so we're almost like robots and 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 that's actually interesting i'm going to segue a little bit because i think this is interesting at least i do and i think everybody else might find it interesting now um um elon musk it came out with an article i read it yesterday where they have now been able to implant a small computer chip into the skull of a chimpanzee and this chimpanzee was literally able to play what's called paddle pong, like ping mm-hmm. pong on the computer, mm-hmm. um, using his mind. Initially, it started with, you know, he had a, a joystick and he was, you know, in the paddle and he was playing the game. Um, and then, and he was, he had a tube in his mouth, but uh, but the sensor in his head, his Bluetooth thing, which you couldn't even see, it was a small chip embedded on top of his head. It basically had a Bluetooth sensor on it. And, uh, and finally, what they did is they took away the joystick, right, all together, and he was without he was hands free and he's still playing the game with his mind Fuck. right and the reward was a banana um you know and he was playing it he was man, it was it was amazing when oh, he, how he, how well he played it right so so my so my theory is this right if that if we can do that right and we can now use a bluetooth in a brain to connect to a, a video game and manipulate a video game, what do you think can happen the other way around? Fuck. You know, they could program you to respond a certain way, right? It's, it, you know, we're talking about radio frequency now. It's a two-way street, right? 
Manchurian candidate, man, MK Ultra. Yeah, transmit receive, right? And so, and now, and here's so here's my next, um, you know, uh, my my next my next guess is this. Um, I think what could happen it's after fast. this stage, well, after this, yeah, exactly. But also after this stage, right? I think it's very possible, very possible to control the mind without a chip. Just through just through electromagnetic frequency, just through they'll, radio frequency, they'll figure it or com- out. Or combinations of frequency, mm-hmm. right? They know they know how to which one is the sand, what combination, what order, what strength, and they know how to target you know the brain and certain parts of the brain that, that carry certain behavior, right? And they could probably look. And so this whole idea about artificial intelligence and robots down the road, well, they'll never have emotions. Actually, I think it's very possible because emotions are nothing more. Then in, information, it's energy, mm-hmm. right? In, energy is information, information is energy. And that's really, that's all emotions are. It's a, it's energy and information. So this is, we're going, we, yeah, you're right. We're going in a really <laughs> scary direction, man, to where one day, I mean, I'm thinking Terminator, man. You yeah. know, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, you know, man. I, I'm thinking, man, there's going to come a time where human beings can literally be outperformed um, and controlled by robots. I do not think it's far-fetched anymore. At one point, I did, but now that I study this more and more, and I see what's the technology and the, and the and how it's evolving, here's another thing. So, uh, and before we start on the book, I want you to throw this out there: is so I'm very good friends with uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla. And uh, yeah. a year ago, she and I were talking, and she's she was asking me about five G. She's actually very smart, man, hey, especially hey, about. Hey, Dale, you think you think she'll do the podcast? I don't know. I could ask her. Ask her. Uh, yeah, I'll ask her. She's very good. Uh, well, what I what really impressed me about yeah. her was she's um, you know very savvy on survival. Um, she's she's actually pretty sharp, pretty heads up, and she's very aware of what's actually happening in in our country and in the world. And uh, her immediate concern at the time was five G. And she goes, "How do I protect myself from five G?" She goes, "She goes, I've studied it." And she goes, "I don't like it." And uh, and so. So, so a little bit about 5G. What's the big hoopla about 5G, right? Well, the average guy out there doesn't know, right? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, a conspiracy theory. So here's, here's some facts. And there's actually data out there. There's, there's, you, there's YouTube, there's science studies, YouTube video, everything out there supporting this. Um, so 5G operates at around, I believe, uh, 60 hertz. Okay. Um, disease frequency for human beings starts below, I think, 62 to 68 hertz. Okay. Um, and what happens is 5G, because the frequency it actually it actually disrupts um, the oxygen uptake in our hemoglobin, in our blood, right? It basically blocks it, stops it, and actually kills cells at that level. And so eventually through time, your body's less is getting less and less oxygen, less and less cells. Um, you're, you're in t- your inside is being radiated, basically, what's happening, and now exposing you to disease, i.e. cancer. Um, and so, you know, the, um, and this is a fact, right, because our bodies operate at certain frequencies. Um, you know, we, are, we, were, we actually run at 7.83 hertz, which is the same frequency as Earth, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, disease frequency starts at, I think, in a... In a uh, starts at the megahertz uh, range, right? Which was again, I think, sixty to sixty-two to sixty-eight hertz. So, five G has a, it does have a deleterious effect on our our um, on our biochemistry uh, across the board, which is going to subject people to more 
you know, disease tonight. And, and we'll never be able to go, oh, you know, you're sick because of 5G, right? It's going to manifest itself in some sickness, right? And the cell phone companies know this. Every the, the scientists out there that supports, you know, these cell phone companies, they've done the research. They know the real story. And nobody will admit it because nobody's going to give up their cell phone, period, right? It's not just 5G, all right? It's all the, it's just a cell phone. It's an emitter, right? It's, it's, it's emitting uh, RF energy, right? To, and if you're holding it by your head, you're just basically microwaving your brain in there. Eventually, you're going to change the cellular the cellular construct of your of your uh, tissue. So, anyways, um, the question was, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, there is an answer. Um, there's some things you can do, but the reality is, we are being inundated every day with radio frequency smog. If you will, mm-hmm. lack of a better term, we're getting pounded by that with unnatural levels. There's actually no natural level other than what's come, what we get from the sunlight and things like that. But uh, so anyways, therein is the, is the danger, right? Um, but so so where I was going to go with this 5G thing is that if radio frequency can affect our bodies at the cellular level like that, right? It is energy and positive and negative energy um, can affect our body both positively and negatively. Then who's not to say that we can't basically, you know, um, you know, hey, somebody with some radio frequency at a level that we know will disrupt or change or alter their behavior. So we're going down this slippery slope, man. And you're right. So go back to the beginning of this whole thing. Um, you know, what's happening right now? This is, this is, is this a conspiracy? And I don't understand why YouTube would do this because it does them no good. At the end of the day, right, when we all become a socialist communist utopia, um, you know, YouTube will get to share all its money with the government and everybody else, right? They, they will no longer own it. Um, well, they will become slaves to a system, right? And everybody will. Coca-Cola. What a bunch of morons, you know? Except, um, <laughs> except for the very top. They will be within the Politburo. They will be in the Central Committee. The very, very exactly. top. The very, very top will maintain their power. It's, it's, they, they know, they know what they're doing. It's, yeah. it's, <clears throat> I was going to, I was going to say before I let them slip my mind, then I'm going to, I'm going to write down the Muhammad Ali's daughter so I don't forget it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, there's this thing. There's this thing, there's this field of study, and it's, it's really cool. It's called uh, cymatics, S-Y-N-A-T-I-C-S. And there's a, there's a great, it's a, by a, there's a great video by a guy named uh, Nigel Stanford, and I'll send it to you if I can, I'll write that down as well. Yeah. But it's, the, it's the effect of uh, sound on matter. And, That's right. And he has this video, it came out like six, seven years ago, Fuck! Of course, my phone autocorrects cymatics to Comstock. Um, <laughs> cymatics is my, um, it's my energy. It's my energy. It's, it's, I'm, I know. I'm, I fuck, I'm, I'm hallucinating. Everyone's like, "Tommy, who's Dale? Dale doesn't exist." I'm like, "No, Dale's my buddy from Delta Force." My parents are like, "It's so sad. He was such a bright kid." And I'm like, "I'm like, no, he has a mustache." And we went and you're like, we went shooting last week, and they're like, "Okay, Tom." And I'm like, "I promise." It's, uh, I'm just in a room with. A straight jacket drooling um but um so cymatics it, it, it's pretty badass so i mean this guy does a music video and it's um so he takes like a bunch of like salt sand and he puts it on like a black yeah. like a like I've seen know, it. yeah 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 and you put it in different frequencies and it's like dun, 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 different dun, shapes and you see it's very psychedelic i mean i originally found it back in 2015 just smoking a ton of pot and it was just you know <laughs> it makes like circles and it makes weird yeah. fractals pretty cool shit whatever 
Yeah. But as it goes on, I remember thinking, um, it was, I remember hearing it on Joe Rogan with this guy, Duncan Trussell, who's this hippie comedian. But I remember he had a great thought that always stuck in my head. And he was like, so if we know that sound can create these patterns, so it affects matter. Well, he was like, who's to say that different moods we have aren't just, you know, well, we know there's serotonin, dopamine, oxycotton, or not oxycotton, uh, oxytocin, acetylcholine, norepinephrine, blah, 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 blah. We know we have all these things. Well, who's to say that different moods aren't um, aren't associated with different little – I mean, because this isn't some woo-woo shit. I mean, truly, if a different mood is from a different de- – I mean, getting drunk is putting ethanol, uh, ethanol molecules into your brain. We know that there's a physical correspondence to – I mean, what happens if you get injected with morphine? You stop feeling pain. Or Michael Jackson with propofol, you go to sleep. So if there are these physical molecules doing this dance in your brain and that gives you different emotions, right? You're drinking coffee right now. It's waking you up. They're binding to your adenosine receptors, right? If you take a NyQuil, you go to sleep. There are different things. And we know they do this They do this molecular dance in our brain. Well, if you can affect a pile of sand, who's to say you can't affect a pile of neurotransmitters? And Duncan Trussell's thought was... Maybe that's why music gives us different feelings, right? Maybe that's why we have workout songs. Maybe that's why we have, you know, this song puts me to sleep. Well, let's take that one step further. Who's to say you can't use a powerful enough transmitter to, if you can just change the sand and turn the sand into a flower, why can't you, why just do one neurotransmitter like oxytocin? Why not do a whole pattern of things? Why not view the mind of someone like, why don't they scan a Dale Comstock or a Joe Tedai, these trained veterans, experts? Why not tra- scan your mind, see what see what mindset corresponds to the the flow state, the 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 shooting flow state? Why can't you then broadcast that into someone, and then you get a true Manchurian candidate, you get a true Lee Harvey Oswald or a Sirhan Sirhan or whatever? Why not? Or why not do that? It's it sounds like batshit insane, but everything I just said is rooted in fact. Why yeah. why not do it? Well, think about this, right? So, um, good friend of mine who was a Delta operator with me was actually on my team years ago, a long time ago. Went to uh, school, got a psychology degree, and we were talking one day, and he was telling me that uh, you know, for example, serial killers, you know, mass murderers, they're they have their serotonin levels um, are very different from the average human being, mm-hmm. right? Serotonin is one of the feel-good hormones, but uh, um, their levels, um, I can't remember if they were super elevated or super depressed now, but I do know that compared to everybody else, they were way off the charts. And uh, and he, could, he said, basically, comparatively speaking, he goes, when you look at those levels in a Delta operator, for example, they're similar. Now, the difference is we're not psychopathic killers or mass murderers, um, but we have, there's a, but there's a, there's a level of hormones that allow us to operate and do certain things that the average guy can't biologically or mentally really um, bring himself to do. Um, so for some of us, it's easier than it is for others doing that kind of work, you know? And uh, people ask me all the time, you know, how does it affect me? You know, what I've done in the past, you know? And, you know, just to put that in context, I've been in every campaign from 1983 Grenada 
to the present conflict in Yemen um, and everything in between that the U.S. has been involved in or even not been involved in, that I've been involved in on my own. And so, um, you know, as a combatant um, at close range, um, that's what I do, man, is I'm the guy, the fixer, man. And so none of that, none of that bothers me. Um, none of that. And it's, I sleep well at night and I'm not trying to take nothing from a guy that has PTSD because actually I have PTSD. I have severe PTSD, but my PTSD stemmed from something not related to smoking other people, but actually related to watching, um, my friends die and, you know, and, and kids getting hurt and killed and, you know, innocent people getting harmed, you know, and why did that bother me so much? Because, because I, when I saw, for example, kids and women, you know, being harmed, I related it to my own family, my own kids, right? So I had a personal connection there. Um, when I watched my friends die, it's like watching a family member die. And uh, so those are the things that you, you know, that I have to deal with is coping with that. Um, and I have, um, you know, I have. And so and there's a whole, there's almost a whole science behind that. Again, that I actually teach. I helped a girl the other night, and she said one of the best nights of sleep she's ever had after we had our conversation. But um, so, so with all that said, you know, talking about the hormone levels and things like that. So hormones are affected by well, hormones are you know it's a chemical, but it's also affected by frequency, by energy, right? And uh, in fact, uh, again, your body is more subjected, uh, more subjective, and more. Um, responsive to frequency than it is chemicals but you know 99 percent more by frequency so what i mean by that is we can you know we can have a lot of bad chemicals in the body that'll affect us at the at the dna level but it's actually the frequency that does the most harm whether it's positive or whether it's negative right that's why people that worry a lot um you know make themselves sick over time mm -hmm. right because they're constantly that negative energy is literally at the cellular level is down regulating their genes um, same, you know, on the other hand, people that are always very positive tend to be happier. And even people that are given bad news and said, and told by doctors, Hey, you know, you've got, you know, you're probably going to die in four months from terminal cancer. Um, you know, that's the, that's the nocebo effect. Like you're, you know, you're going to die in four months. And if you believe it, you buy into it, it's going to happen because that negative energy is just going to facilitate that, that death faster. But people have, and it's been proven time and time again, people have had a positive thought and said, no way am I dying. And we're serious about it and really believe there's no way I'm going to die. Have lived on for years and years and even, you know, found themselves cured from this stuff. Right. So, so energy is very, um, very essential to everything we do. In fact, it is everything. Okay, energy is everything. Everything is energy. Period. Bottom line, right? Um, so, going back to the uh, the hormones and the frequency, for example, five G, right? What would keep someone from amping up the five G transmission in a certain area? Okay, that basically is transmitting over a certain sector of society. In fact, I was talking to a guy yesterday. He said his church is his church is surrounded by cell phone tires. I said, how ironic is that? Why do you think it's going, you know, is that coincidence? Maybe it was, but I said, think about the conspiracy here, man. What if you could go, listen, we don't like all these conservatives and they're all going to this church. Let's just set up a cell phone tower 5G there that's aimed over their church. All right. And we just, we just amp it up a little bit while they're in there. Um, and, and then, so I, I said earlier, I mentioned TikTok, right? So TikTok could actually become a means, right, to infiltrate our, our, um, 
our grid, our, our electromagnetic network, um, you know, cell phone towers, right? I mean, think about that for a minute. So you're playing, you're, you're opening up TikTok on your cell phone. What would, what would keep them from sending, you know, a virus or something to basically uh, infiltrate the, the cell phone tower system, right? And change the, the output, right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. people think this might be a little way like over the top, but you got to stop limiting your way of thinking. If you really think hard about this, if we're putting chips in a monkey's brain for Bluetooth and he's playing ping pong without his fucking hands, um, then it's very possible to do that, right? And, and that's we can what's now have- classified. Right, exactly. And so and, and this is what, you know, this is, this is how you can manipulate human behavior. Uh, and so I was telling the guy yesterday, he said, so yeah, you go to church every Sunday and everybody walks out feeling like shit, right? <laughs> because they feel like sick and nauseous or whatever, you know, and uh, because they're getting radiated by this daggone 5G. They're getting the extra dose of it, right, during these times or maybe all the time, you know. And, and so what happens psychologically, you go, man, I'm not going to church. Every time I go, I get mm-hmm. sick. Maybe I'm allergic, I'm allergic to God in church, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it starts messing with the psyche, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, to me, that's what I mean by earlier when I said that the, we're in third world war. It's just not fought with bullets yet. Not yet anyways. But it always comes to that. Ultimately, what will happen is, and this is my prediction, um, and I hear this a lot from a lot of people that are like, you know what? Um, this is not going to work out well, especially for the left, because we're going to hit a point of no return um, where there's going to be blowback. We're, you know, there's going to be. You know, there's going to be a revolution and it's going to be ugly. And everyone that's been responsible for this or even thought to be responsible for this can be held to account. And um, you can only push a human being so far. And throughout history, look, man, you know, every empire falls. But, you know, and every tyranny that, that is established eventually falls as well. The bottom masses eventually said that's enough. And they cut the legs out from it, you know, and uh, and it. If and they flip the script, it's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, we're we're at that point. I get this a lot from a lot of friends and people I don't even know. They all think we are now at the tipping point and uh, it's not going to take much more. I can tell you this, the COVID passport crap, um, that ain't going to work out well. The You know, the, the what firearms regulations that are coming down, there's nothing more than a disguised way of confiscation and now by the way the left's go nobody's coming for your guns nobody wants to take your guns the hell they don't right it's the way they're gonna do it that matters right and so everybody goes well you know um my my all my friends keep saying this well you know my my weapons fell into the ocean off the boat sorry i don't have them it's like you know what that doesn't matter because the police aren't going to come knocking on your door going to give us your guns that's not how it's going to work because they know that won't work they know that won't work what that's going to end up doing is getting a lot of cops killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but but here's how it works. They, okay, uh, any firearm you have, you know, it's two hundred dollar tax for gun, two hundred dollars for tax for magazine. Oh yeah, logical examination. Right? Yeah, right. Right. So all these taxes, right? And then and you go, well, hell, I'm just not going to admit I got them, so I'm not paying the taxes, right? And then you get an ex wife that hates your ass and goes, hey man, this guy said he's going to kill me yesterday when we I met him at the grocery store, and he's I know he's got guns. Well, now with the red flag, red flag laws that they're trying to make a national, um, guess what? Cops come knocking on your door. The court order goes, come on, you're coming with us, and we're taking all your guns. You're already guilty 
without even proving your innocence. They, and they already take your private property because somebody else said it, right? And what would keep your neighbors from doing that to you, right? You have a neighbor, you have a dispute about your lawn, you know, the, the trash or whatever, right? How easy would it be to turn your, just like World War II, right? With the Nazis, the Jews, you know, ratting out your freaking neighbors, you know, your families. That's who the police is. Your family and your friends and your neighbors will become the police that will take you down, yeah. right? And, and so that's how it's going to work. You can hide your guns, and eventually, if you had to use your weapon or if you got caught carrying a weapon, now all of a sudden you're a felony. Now that you're a, a felon, now that you're a felon, they go to your house, they find 10 more guns. Now you're felon time, a felon times 10, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. And now, now you find yourself, you don't have your freedom anymore. So basically, indirectly, this is a, a way of enslavement and, and, and control and disarmament. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's got to there's going to come a point. I promise you, I know people talk about the three percent, you know, the revolution. Sure. That's true. There's only maybe three percent still to this day. But that's all it takes is three percent to hand this country its ass. And people, are, you know, and, and I love the liberals that go, well, you know, um, AK-47, uh, uh, AR-15 can't stop a tank and a helicopter. Well, let me give you a little freaking a, a little Iraq. Well, <laughs> Yeah, Afghanistan, <laughs> Taliban, Taliban flip flops and AK 47s handed the Russians their ass, right? I mean, they're actually handing us our, our ass, ass, okay? Yeah. Right? And, and so, um, but it's, it, you know, it's not only that, you know, with the weapons, okay, all I need is a pistol, mm-hmm. you know? Actually, all I need is a baseball bat. I club one dude over the head, and now I got an M16, right? Yeah. Right. And then I, I get more M16s with that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how it works. That's how guerrilla warfare works. Right. Yeah. Plus all the black market stuff I get in. But I don't have to take out a tank with a car 15 or AK 47. OK. All I got to do is take out the tank driver's family. Yeah. OK. It's, it's, See how that works? Yeah. That's that's unconventional warfare. That is guerrilla warfare. And that is how the bad guys fight. Well, that's I, how they fight. I always I always look at the logic of. um. Yeah, how are you going to fight the U.S. government? How are you going to fight nuclear weapons? How are you going to fight tanks? But you have to understand, with the exception of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, no one wants to rule over an irradiated wasteland. You know, if, if the U.S. government really wanted to take down the people, they would have nuked Japan on August 6th and August 9th, and then they would have nuked the American people on August 10th. That's the right. reason why they haven't done that, despite having nuclear weapons, thermonuclear weapons, deliverable from space at hypersonic reentry speeds, the reason why we didn't do that in Vietnam, in Korea, in Afghanistan, granted, mutual assured destruction, but that, I think, leads credence to my point, is no one wants to rule over an irradiated wasteland. If I want to go take someone's, if I want the spoils of war... You know, why, how come when you're leaving, when you realize your country is losing, why do they do scorched earth? Why did the Germans pull along those trains with those massive hooks that dug up all the railroad ties so the Soviets couldn't do it? Why did they dismantle Schwerer Gustav? Because they didn't want the Soviets to, if I can't have it, then no one can. And that's just, that's how war is fought at the very least out of spite. So, yeah. In the United States, once, what are you going to do with a pistol? What are you going to do with a Remington? They have Abrams tanks. Well, not even getting into the whole guerrilla warfare. If you don't go after the Abrams tank, you go over after the Abrams tank driver's new puppy. Not, not even that. Let's just let's just leave that out entirely. Let's just look at let's just look at like physical reality. They're not going to burn down a city. 
because the, the people that are taking control of the country to get rid of weapons in the United States, they want something to rule over. They want a kingdom to rule over. If I'm going to loot an Apple store, I'm not going to throw in a Molotov cocktail because that destroys all the loot. I'm going to throw in a brick and I'm going to try to go through. So when people say, how can you fight the U.S. government? I just point to Vietnam or Afghanistan in 89 or Afghanistan now. We have we have fighter jets with that can super cruise with stealth capabilities, dropping 2,000 pound bombs guided at the speed of light from satellites at 23,000 miles up. And we're getting we're getting our ass handed to us by illiterate farmers who have never heard of Michael Jackson or Sesame Street wearing sandals with AK-47s that double as shovels, and they're winning. At the very least, let's say they're not winning. At the very least, the fact that the war wasn't over in in 10 hours and it's been going on for 18 years goes to show it's still, you can't, look at YouTube's doing it to me right now. They suspended my channel. Okay, well, I'm still on Rumble, BitChute, VO, Vimeo, DTube, and Spotify. And I have two stay-behind channels on YouTube that no one knows about, but has my entire libraries uploaded there, including the banned episodes. But I keep those quiet, and I'll activate them at a time of my choosing. The point is, is you can't... You, you, it, it, there is no winning, and I think that's the only... Re- I don't even know what the fuck I'm getting riled up about now. But the point is, is you, it, it, it doesn't... It doesn't work. The threat works. You don't need a gun. We have nuclear weapons. That works because that gets you to hand in your gun. But man, all it takes is for the fucking FBI and ATF watching. This isn't a threat. This is a hypothetical. All it takes is one. All it takes is for a, a Waco to happen in every neighborhood. After the fourth neighborhood, man. It, it sure you could blot out you could censor it all right because they've already done that so you could censor the news on youtube and instagram don't let anybody know that there are wacos happening every day but at the very least you're going to have the cops who are supposed to be confiscating the guns and they're going to be going man there was 10 of us on monday we did five wacos on monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday now there's six of us and they're sending up some recruits they're going to replenish our but man, I don't know if I want to be the first on that stack. It's, I don't think it can be done. And I know I'm ranting, but to tie it all back to what we said earlier, and this is what I've brought up before, is everything I just said could be nullified by robotics, robotics that don't question orders. And I've said this before, and I've used you specifically. I said, I've said this to other guests. I said, I have a guest, Dale Comstock, that everybody knows. What happens when they scan your mind? turn that into software, not making copies of you, but making copies of your capabilities and your experiences. And then you have a thousand robots made out of Kevlar and carbon fiber and you upload Dale's brain to it. And they're not aware. They're not self-aware. They're just machines, but they don't question orders and they don't care about seizing guns. Who cares if you kill three robots? 97 more are coming in the door. That is where... That is where everything I just said might be nullified. You might not have another Vietnam or Afghanistan. You might have robots that are bulletproof, that run on solar power, and can't be taken down by a flamethrower, and don't require oxygen or food, and they're all connected by Wi-Fi and thermal imaging. Well, at that point, I think the only move is to get on Elon Musk's rocket and go to Mars, because this place is fucked. (laughs) 
Yeah, and so a couple, <laughs> couple, a couple of anecdotal sure. points here is sure. one is um, when I was in Afghanistan, I remember we rolled up a Taliban fighter and uh, we had him, and so we were no longer to, allowed to interrogate. Right, um, we had to interview the person under control. Right, uh, he was no longer a detainee. This was all thanks to John McCain, who's a big ass sellout, um, and yeah. Look, everybody thinks, well, he was a prisoner of Vietnam, yeah, you know, and, yeah, and he said, you know, interrogations don't work. That don't mean jack shit. Maybe it didn't work on him because he was running his freaking yap. Who knows? But uh, I happen to know that it does work. Okay, and I, and I also <laughs> happen to know, and I also happen to know, there's a lot of American kids that are alive today because of that, right? And uh, but we caught this guy and we were interviewing him, and and uh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> our guy, the American that was with me, he said uh, he was trying to basically, you know, now he's being frustrated. You can't do anything with this guy. He's like, do you know who we are? We're Americans. We put men on the moon. And this guy sits back, right? And this is how smart he's not. He goes, <laughs> he goes, you can't put men on the moon. The moon's only that big, right? And we're like, holy shit. That's what, these are the guys that are kicking our ass with that mindset, right? I mean, in his mind, you know, he thinks yeah. the moon's that big. How can you put how can you put people on it, right? And he's laughing and giggling like, you can't do that, right? So um, the other thing that came up was I had some friends in Indonesia that were asking me, you know, about the Chinese, you know? Um, you know, the Chinese are making their moves. They're doing it under the radar. In fact, uh, several um, drone submarines have been recovered along the Indonesian coast, right? And what are they doing? The Chinese are mapping out, you know, the geo geo mapping the, yeah, the ocean floor, you know, they're looking for where they can send, send run their submarines and things like that. They're doing that all the way down to Australia. I got, I guarantee they're probably doing it here around the U S but, um, you know, the, the Chinese are, they have a strong presence everywhere, um, everywhere there. And, um, you know, we, we, you know, I think we talked about uh, Taiwan and what they're doing there to the coral reefs. You know, they're dredging up all the sand mm-hmm. around uh, Taiwan and taking sand and building islands around the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know, cutting off the fishing, you know, the fishing capability of the Taiwanese and other things. Um, so it's a very systematic approach that is under the guise of you know whatever some type of economic development. It's very passive looking, but real. Yeah, but it's passive aggressiveness, right? What they're doing. There's an there's an objective here. Why would you waste all your time building islands and doing all the crap that you're doing and, sh- and basically, you know, taking the sand out from another island, you know, with people on it? So, um, so that day is coming, and I've been warning my friend. I said it's a matter of time. I said eventually we're going to have an eastern block and a western block mm-hmm. in this world. You know, the Chinese are going to run the eastern block, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and there's like, well, what do you think? You know, they wouldn't come to Indonesia, would they? And I said, why wouldn't they? I mean, will. man, it's a resource-rich, you know, country. Um, it's got a big population. It's a great, <laughs> man, jungles, you know. It's it's a great place to hold, right? And uh, it's got a lot of resources. And uh, and they couldn't get their head around it. And these are these are now Westerners, okay? Actually, Western, North Americans I'm talking to. And, uh, and very, very um, educated people. All right? And they could not fathom the idea that, well, what, well, what do you think the Chinese will do to us? Um, you, you think they'll kill us? I go, no, not all of us. I said, some of us, you know, they'll probably take me out because they know that I'm just You're not going to go away yeah. willingly, you know. I'm going to be the guy that starts a counterinsurgency. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, and, uh, for 30 years. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I said, but I said, but everybody else, you know, is going to be safe. You know, I said, uh, 
and, and, and the reason they're going to be safe is because they become useful idiots, right? So, you know, we the, the Chinese still need infrastructure, they still need food, they still need power, they still need to maintain this company so it doesn't country so it doesn't collapse, right? So they're going to, you know, they're going to leave the the, the, the government in place in the Asian government, but there's going to be a shadow government, right? It's going to be, all this is going to be ruled by one Chinese mm-hmm. czar, if you will, right? And mm-hmm. who's basically mandating how everything works, curfews, um, you know, that's, that's how it works. Think, think of Japan, you know, in, in, in the Philippines, what they did, right? Same thing, man. They, they just massacred these people. They, they took advantage of them. They raped their women. They, they took their goods. They killed their men. Um, and, Probably the only reason I keep saying this, the only reason that today the ja- uh, Australians aren't speaking Japanese is because of the Battle of Midway. Mm-hmm. You know, had that, had that not happened, you know, <laughs> who knows, Australia might be a Japanese, you know, one of the Japanese satellites or the Japanese province, you know. Um, and look how little that country is. They were actually, they were in China kicking their ass. Yeah, and we stopped them. We stopped them. And yeah. we stopped them like, Jesus, there we go, right? And so we should just let them go finish the job, you yeah. know? But, um, the rape of Nanjing, you know, so, Manchuria. Yeah, so here we are, man. And, uh, you know, the war continues. <laughs> this, you know, we're in World War III. Um, it doesn't have to be fought with guns, but it will eventually, because eventually it always comes down to the man on the battlefield with a gun, always, right? So like I said earlier, when, a, when a, an empire collapses, um, you know, you know, people are oppressed. Eventually, they're going to rise up against the tyranny. The tyranny, it's going to collapse, but it's going to require, it's going to require, um, you know, our our uh, primitive, primitive warfare, man. It's going to go back to knives, sticks, guns, whatever we get our hands on to kill that other guy that's basically oppressing us, right? With all his digital shit in hand, we're going to beat his ass with it, right? So that's what happens, and that's what's going to happen. So anybody that thinks that there's a utopia out there and we can all live together and and one world government and we'll all be happy, you're smoking crack and you are the problem. And that's why I think in the end of the day, man, um, we got a lot of useful idiots out there. That's why neighbors will turn on each other um, because they're just – they could be educated, but they're not intelligent. Right? There's there's another level of intelligence. And I'll say this. Um, so, you know, the educated people, we have them all the time. The academians, right? The professor spends a whole life in school. He thinks he's a subject matter expert on whatever, right? But he's never left the, the schoolhouse, right? Um, then you have the guy that's out there that's, uh, you know, he's intelligent. Okay, maybe he's got an education, but he's intelligent. He's the guy that can go, hmm, you know what? They said they're only going to raise the taxes for the wealthy, so I'm good. no. The intelligent guy will go, no, actually, they're going to raise the tax on the wealthy, but I'm not good because that means my, my apartment complex shit, owner, yeah, right, he's going to raise my rent. He's, I'm not going to, he's not going to pay taxes. I'm going to pay his taxes. That's how it works, right? And so and then the guy that has effective intelligence, all right, he's, not, he's the guy that's going to go, I'm not going to go alone with that program. Even though I know they're going to raise my rent, I'm going to figure out another way to hide my money, to launder my money, to basically do what I got to do to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and be better off. Mm-hmm. So there are guys that will work that out. That's effective intelligence. And uh, most people don't have that. You know who has effective intelligence? Criminals. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you bas- so basically you're going to have to become a criminal to beat a criminal system. Yeah. Um, is what, what we're doing here, right? And that's what it is. It is criminal. Um, and so ultimately, you know, um, they don't need robots that, that they will come, but right now all they need is the useful idiots and they far outnumber us, I would say nine to one, hands down. You know, I mean, when you see people, no shit, no shit here in Panama City Beach, all right, we had people on the beach in bikinis 
in their swim trunks, laying on the beach on a towel with a mask on. God damn it. All right. That's the level of idiocy in this country. I've seen people in the woods by themselves with a mask on. I've seen people in the car with a mask on. It's a, well, it's a Pavlovian response is what it is. Right. Teach them to always right. have the mask on. And then next year it will be you always have your passport. And the year after yeah. that, and then eventually, next thing you know, it's going to be, I have my government monitoring system. Don't leave the house without your implant. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, your implant's going to be on your phone. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a barcode application. Um, you know, that's what it's going to be. And basically everybody will need one. Now I question myself, ask myself, well, what about, you know, some third worlders in Africa, what are they going to do? Right. Um, you know, but actually for them to have a cell phone is not other realm of possibilities because what was amazing is in Afghanistan, all these desert dwellers, sheepers, everybody had a cell phone, well, yeah, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. it's ubiquitous. Everybody has one now. So why not put a put an application on there that you have to use that mm-hmm. to, you know, enter a building, get on an airplane. You have to scan your code that you've been vaccinated for a disease that has a 99.76% survivability rate, right? It's like, you know, what's going on here? Um, it's not about, it is not about, here, I love this one right here, right? So, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, guns kill people. They're bad, 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 right? We got to get rid of we got to get rid of guns guns kill people which we already know the argument is no guns don't kill it's a it's a tool the human being is a weapon the actual weapon he's actually killing people but remember when uh, uh jim jones killed 919 people with kool-aid <laughs> <laughs> very yeah, true where, where, where's very the true. outrage with kool-aid why are we not banning why didn't we ban kool-aid yet right yeah. and so yeah. you know that was that, that was the medium with what he put he put his what is a strict nine in there but uh nonetheless well, you know well, what about well, <laughs> shit man the nazis the nazis killed six million with zyklon b pellets there you go right I mean, um, I mean, Dr. they killed 300,000 with machetes. I mean, yeah. Stalin, so, shit, Stalin or uh, Mao took out 50 million with just yeah. lack of food. Look, man, you can get creative. <laughs> you can roll up your sleeves and you can get those neurons turning. And, man, you can kill people with all sorts of spectacular tools. I can't help but think that it feels more and more. Like, you know, America is always the bastion, but when America itself seems to be imploding and giving into this, you kind of get the feeling of, you know, when the pilgrims left, they didn't they weren't going to America because it was this light, a shining light on the hill. America didn't exist. They were going to this bear, what they thought was barren, obviously, the Native Americans, but they were going to this empty basically big field the size of a continent and they were just like fuck all y'all i'm paraphrasing fuck all y'all we want to go practice our religion there is no you know now people flee to america but back then there wasn't even in america it was just we're going over here i can't help but think when you lock down when you take away every bastion of freedom when you can't i mean governor desantis had his youtube channel suspended yesterday for saying something about covid i mean when yet i mean trump obviously we know was removed from all social media but he's creating his platform 45office.com which i can't wait for that to be up the point is though is when you take away all forms of of legitimate dialogue when you, I, the first thing I did was I sent the fact that I was suspended to my two very liberal friends, uh, David and Roger, and they both had the same response. They're like, yeah, they're like, you know, I, I get the threat of misinformation. I get the threat of, you know, fake news, but they both said, and this was a first that I've seen from both of them. They both said, they're like, that's, that's not good that that Cambridge doctor was, 
was banned. They both said, they're like, I disagree with what he said. But what I said is it doesn't matter whether or not there was election fraud. There doesn't matter whether or not COVID's being overblown. I mean, it does. But the fact that we can't discuss it, the very fact that we can't. Right now, Dale and I have been talking about 5G as a weapon. Maybe it's not actually a weapon, but we have to be able to at least discuss it. Because when you take away the ability to discuss, right, what's the first thing they do? They ban Alex Jones. They wait a year. Sorry, they ban Milo Yiannopoulos. They wait a year. They ban Alex Jones. They wait a year. They ban Donald Trump. And then they do from what? They go from one paradigm, banning individuals, to banning topics. I myself have found out. Election fraud, first suspension. COVID, second suspension. I would bet any amount of money that the third will probably be around sometime this summer. The new verboten topic will be gun control. You can't talk about gun control. But what the people on the left don't realize is because everything that's happening is against is against those Trump Americans. So, you know, fuck them. Who cares if it's shady? Well, once we're all gone, you know, first they came for the Jews, but I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the gypsies, but I didn't say anything because I wasn't a gypsy, blah, 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 blah. And then they came for me and I spoke out, but there was no one to speak out for me. Well, once they get rid of everyone, you know, right of center, the only people, the new far right is once you chop off the rightmost inch of a ruler, the new rightmost inch is the next inch over and then over and over and over and over until you get down to where there's only two inches and you have to cut that and then you have to cut that when you take out everyone to the right of center soon they're going to come for the moderate democrats they're going to come for you and then they're going to come for the guy and then so once they take out all the conservatives and then they start using the cops to enforce things like uh you have to say that gender changing is stunning and brave and then all of a sudden you stand out and say no i don't think you should chop off my kid's dick and give him a clit because he's only four and then you get shot by the cops for arguing with them when people try to upload that video, there's going to be no George Floyd response because now, just like I can't question the World Health Organization or election fraud, now that is not going to be able to be questioned because what are they going to dress it up as? You are contradicting a law enforcement officer of the United States of America. You're going to be going, well, hold on. No, you tried to come into my house and chop off my daughter's clit and give her a dick. And they're going to go, no. And then you're going to wonder, oh, wait, fuck, I can't upload a video of these cops shooting my dog. And then you're going to go, oh, fuck. I should have I should have realized this was happening five years ago when they were banning Alex Jones and Trump and COVID. It's not going to stop at COVID and election fraud. It's going to keep going and going and going and going until all of a sudden you're going to try to upload a video about the fact that there are Chinese soldiers invading off the coast of Seattle, but it's going to be flagged as hate speech. And you're not going to be able to – Paul Revere is going to be saying the British are coming and his, his channel is going to be deleted. It's going to say he was inciting hatred. So I say all of that to say it's starting to look like there's two outcomes, war and I'll probably be dying in the opening shots because I'm a moron. Or, as you saw, a shooting. Dale, how do I shoot? Tom, the safety's off. What do you mean? Red, you're dead. Red, you're dead. Okay, noted. Everyone was like, Jesus Christ. Tommy's going Tommy's gonna to shoot himself in front of the Delta Force guys. Um, it's going to be that. Or it's going to be it's going to be the new pilgrims. I mean, fuck. Is it just going to be go to Mars? Is it, I mean, truly, I, I know that sounds all sci-fi, but I mean, truly, at a certain point, is going to Mars the new getting on the Mayflower or the Nina or the Santa Maria or where the fuck they were and going across the great ocean, which is inter, interplanetary space, and you're going to settle a new world 
which is Mars. And it's going to be the equivalent of the pilgrims. It's going to be brutal living. It's A lot of people are going to die. But when you look back and you go, why the fuck did people leave civilized London to go live in the, the, the woods of North America and get and get killed and eaten by Native Americans? Something must have really driven them. And it was a desire for religious freedom. So in the year 2521, when they looked back 500 years and go, man, they had iPhones, air conditioning, they had Zoom, they had porn and video games and McDonald's and DoorDash. Why did anyone get on a goddamn rocket that had a 50% survival rate and fly for nine months to a new world where nothing existed? Well, they're going to learn about history and they're going to go, oh, it's because everything else was fucked. And there are some people that at their yeah. core just wanted to be free. And man, it's starting to look more and more like I'm going to die on Mars. Well, uh, uh, I disagree that you're going <laughs> to die on Mars because there's no escape, uh, not anytime soon. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the the boogeyman is here. He's at our doorstep. And uh and I think the only way to stop it is to deal with the boogeyman head on and uh, with extreme with extreme prejudice. And and so, you know, that's why I said it earlier, it's going to come down to those with the effective intelligence <clears throat> that are going to that three percent that are going to make the difference. It's going to take a trigger to get it going. But that trigger will come because there's a point where, <clears throat> you know, we have um, we're going to have a unified intelligence and a unified will, um, even if it's at three percent. Um, that's gonna, that's all it takes, man. Um, that's gonna, you know, there's gonna be a paradigm shift, I hope. But unfortunately, the whole world has been inculcated in this mindset. And hats off to the Florida government, DeSantis, um, you know, for standing against this crap, this tyranny. Um, you know, the, the guys, you know, obviously, the guys got some live brain cells, unlike a lot of these other politicians who are selling their souls and don't even realize what they're doing. Um, and I don't expect any liberal. That out there or let's listen to this podcast agree with me that's because you're the problem you don't want to listen and you don't want to use effective intelligence you don't want to use any intelligence and you like to listen to what the news tells you and uh, what your friends tell you but the reality is if you use common sense and really look at what's happening uh, what in the long play the long run um, you know, we, we are all going to be screwed. Everybody's going down on the ship not just the conservatives and, um, and so that day is coming. Um, unfortunately, I never thought I'd see something like this. You know, now we have the military swinging left. Um, you know, we all expected that. We knew that he was going to change the leadership to more left-leaning. Um, they used the race card to weed out extremism. You know, what does extremism mean in the military? Because I can tell you as a veteran, there was no, there was I never experienced any of that in the military. Okay, um, the military culture is like no other culture in the world. But what they had to do was bastardize and make it look like oh, that's a it's a it's a haven for racism too. And we gotta we gotta sort straighten out the military, right? And that's bullshit. That does not exist at the level that they would like for it to exist. So they have to create this false narrative. And basically, they said, well, we got these right wing extremists. Let me tell you something. At one point four brag. I forget how many gangs they had, literally gangs, gangs in the military, okay? The Bloods and Crips on Fort Bragg, all right? And there was, there was a big presence. And a lot of these guys were joining the military and they kept their, their gang membership going uh, on Bragg. Um, nobody's talking about that, okay? I can tell you, they was one of right-wing extremists. Um, and so, you know, 
it, this is not, a, and, and I'm not trying to educate, you know, the left because they don't want to hear it anyways. And there, there's no point. All I'm trying to do is reinforce to the right. It's like, man, remember what you're facing. I met some Marines uh, last night, young Marines, bunch of them. They're going through some training and we were talking and, uh, and I, and I told them, man, you know, they, they were, they were all Americans, man. They were there to be Marines. Um, they, they believed in, you know, they believed in America. They believed in the constitution. Um, they believed in all the values that I believe. And I just told them, I said, let me remind you, man, every day, remind yourself why you're here and why you're a Marine. Okay. And remember what side you stand on, even though you are a Marine, remember there are people on the other side trying to pull you over there. Okay, and make you their foot soldiers, and they're the evil ones, man. They are they are way left of center. I said, remember, you're here to support the Constitution of the. You took an oath, mm-hmm. all right, and remember that, man. Remember who you are, and um, and then they were all, you know, uh, who are you know, simplify, you know, they they were definitely on board, and um, but we do know, you know, I think I told you a couple months ago. I called my son. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Green Beret. He's a Ranger. I said, man, I said, you know what, son? I said, when your time is up, you, you, your internal enlistment is up this time. I said, get out, man. I said, get out because they're going to send you to war. They're going to send you to war to do their bidding, right? The, the left doesn't care about you. These liberals don't care about you, right? They're going to tell you, you deserve what you get for being a soldier. Uh, I said, don't die for this country. Do not die for this administration. I said, don't do it. It's not worth it, man. I said, you got all the training, got all the skills, get out of the military. Go get a private job. Do something else, man. Um, And that's sad because if the government called me right now and said, hey, we're at war, we need you, I'm going to kiss my ass. All right? I ain't going no more. I am not going no more. You people spit on us, you shit on us. You, you take our you take our benefits away. Act like we're somehow privileged. Like I earned that, man. I was I was promised, like for example, free medical and dental when I joined the army for life after I retired. Okay, now they've taken that away. They've taken away the dental. They're chopping. They're making me pay for my my uh, medical. Um, all those things that were part of the contract for me to say yes, I'm willing to lift, uh, uh, sacrifice my life. Okay, and sacrifice you know my livelihood for my family, my happiness. For this country, and in exchange, you're going to give me a paycheck, which is not very much, considering what, you, what my life is worth, and you're going to give me all this other stuff. Okay, I'm, I'm agreed. Now they're going, no, we're going to take it back. Stop being a little privileged, you know, whiny nose, and be like everybody else. And this, you know who said this? Kamala Harris. Okay, she's one of them. All right? No respect. They want to give our privileges, our benefits. They would rather give them to illegal aliens mm-hmm. um, coming to our country, right? And so this is how I know the left has completely lost its mind. Anybody who supports that is a traitor to this country, and you are not an American, period. You're not an American. You're a pseudo-American at best, mm-hmm. okay? And so anyways, it got me on a rant. Um, now I'm getting a little heated. <laughs> no, Let's man. go into the book, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, hold on. Let, let, me, let me go take a piss, Dale, because I realized you and I have just been talking shit for an hour. Yeah, man. <laughs> It's uh, hey, do you edit out these piss breaks when you publish this? I, I do oh, now. You? I used to not oh, okay. do. Them. Now I do. Now I do because I realized okay. I always thought I, I always thought I was gone for twenty seconds, and I started looking at him. I was like, man, I was gone for two minutes, and it's just a weird silence of me just whatever. So yeah. I'm gonna go piss. You can talk if you want. I'm gonna go piss. Yeah. It's, it's whatever. All right, all right. So everybody who's listening out there, um, no, I'm not an extremist. Um, I'm a patriot, and uh, I believe in doing what's right morally and ethically what's right um and uh we have rules we have laws for reasons um we have a constitution for a reason and uh, to adulterate it and bastardize it to meet the agenda of a certain section of our population so that they can be empowered make money 
and take advantage of everybody else is wrong. And I know the argument is, well, you know, that's what, you know, the right has been doing. No, that's not what the right has been doing. If you really think about it and really do your due diligence, your homework, um, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Um, it's not always on the left. It's not always on the right. Um, anyways, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to pick up where we left off on my stories. Um, so for those that haven't been following, I um, basically... Uh, Tom and I have been getting together every weekend, uh, except for the last two weekends I've been traveling from Bali back to Florida. So um, I'm here for a couple of months. But basically, we're going through we're going through some of the chapters of my book. Actually, we're going through all the chapters of my book, and I'm just telling you the stories so you actually don't have to read it. Um, so we're going to cover American Badass, and then uh, then uh, I got five more books that are coming out, uh, different types of stories of my. Uh, of what I did post uh, 2011, 2012, when I first wrote American Badass, what I've done since that time, which has been quite a bit. Um, amazingly enough, I keep seeing, seem to keep finding myself in these weird situations and hot spots, and, and doing some things that you know you think are only happening in Hollywood, but uh, and actually some of them actually did happen in Hollywood. But uh, anyways, I think they're interesting stories. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's not about my life story so much about you know bragging or you know whatever trying to impress you with what i've done it's also about uh weaving a theme a theme that everybody can learn from within those stories to help you uh be a better person live a better life and uh you know and appreciate what you have so i think joe i think uh, tom last time did we not talk about the siege in barge Matal, um the base camp the small cop um up in uh Nuristan, where we had to evacuate the, the whole platoon or company out within three days. Did we cover that? I think we did. I don't remember because we canceled the last one. We canceled <clears throat> the last one the week before you came. Yeah, I got to remember. I got to be honest. I don't entirely remember. Sorry, I wouldn't. I think I, I think we talked about. Uh, I'll just kind of go over. This. I'll summarize this one again. Um, just in case I did miss, it. but basically the siege in Barjum Matal. I was up in. Uh, uh, a, a poor operating base, a very small clandestine base, sorry, clandestine base that uh, was one of the most northeastern um, camps in Afghanistan on the Pakistani border. The area looked like something out of Lords of the Rings. And uh, in fact, our camp was at about 7,000 feet altitude. Uh, we had OPs at 9,000 feet altitude. The OPs are observation posts. And uh, we had there were a couple of military, uh, what they call cops, which are basically small encampments, um, little small, tiny fire bases, um, all up in the Nuristan province, which, by the way, is very mountainous, also very forested. It almost looked like jungle. It's kind of interesting to see that in North Af Afghanistan. Um, but um, one of the one of the cops had come under uh, attack, under siege, um, and nine Americans were killed. Um, the base was basically, the camp was overrun um, by Taliban, quite a few. And then uh, the Americans ended up calling in uh, airstrike on top of themselves uh, to, to get rid of the threat to survive it. So that prompted uh, the command to go, let's just pull all these cops out. They had actually had three of them up there. Um, and so we, we had the mission to get one of these cops out because basically they were literally under siege almost every day, um, constantly getting to the point where they couldn't even leave the wire, so to speak, to go run any kind of patrols or anything. They were basically hunkered down behind the HESCO barriers and uh, always, you know, on alert and uh, and making contact with the bad guys. And so in order for them to get out, you know, um, 
you would call it rip, rotate in place, but nobody was rotating in. They were just rotating out. They needed assistance. So to, to basically pick all their equipment up on helicopters and get it out, it's going to take roughly, you know, three days to do all that. So the mission of our element was to go in. Uh, we brought about 60 of our, our, our Afghan mercenaries with us. And uh, it's just me and a couple of other Americans. And basically what we did is we flew into the middle of the night on CH-47. Uh, the camp was maybe 150 by 150 meters square, not very big. And it sat right in the valley. Um, I mean, surrounded by mountains. I don't know who put it down there, but in that spot, but they did. Um, but they did have one OP on top, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. So, and the HLZ was just big enough to support one helicopter landing. That's how small it was. So we landed. We actually had to fly in a couple of times, deliver everybody, got everybody off board. It was late at night. And uh, we met up with the commander. And basically, the mission was for us to go outside the wire and patrol the out, outer area, the AO, the perimeter. Um, and also deliberately go out and make contact with the Taliban and, and engage them. So we keep them occupied so they're not attacking the base while the base is basically uploading everything they can in these helicopters mm-hmm. and getting them out, right? So um, so that was the mission. And it ended up, uh, we went out the first night um, and we decided we we're going to go up the road about three kilometers. There was a madrasa up there, a church, a religious church that the Taliban like to use to stage out of. And uh, we had intel that they might actually be hanging out in there and so our mission was go up there and make contact there if they're not there then we would have pushed forward another two or three kilometers there was a village and uh, we assumed that they would be in that village as well so first night we left um we're walking we get outside the wire we're probably about a kilometer uh, up the road and then uh a stage 47 is coming in to land on the, in the base and it will happen to be a Taliban outside the wire with an RPG and he takes a shot at it and puts a, puts a round through the bottom of the helicopter and it takes out when the crew chiefs helicopter crash lands into the camp. All right. So now it's game on, right? Pursuing firefight from all directions in and out of the camp and we're standing outside going shit. Now what do we do? Do we go back in? No, that's a bad idea because now we've got to, one, get past the Taliban to get in, and we might get engaged by our own guys that don't recognize us, right? Um, we would do more good out here or just staying out of the mix. And so we did. We decided to stick to our mission, go to Madrasa. We did. It was you know, a dry hole. Nobody was there. We pushed on to the village. I had to cross a river. Um, they knew we were coming, and all the bad guys squirted out the back end and got away up into the mountainside. But we swept the village, and you always know you can always tell when it's a, a bad guy village, right? Because people act like you're not there, right? They're, they're cooking. They're not looking at you, you know, like, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing, right? Really? They're not smiling. They're not, they're not hello. They're not even acknowledging you. They're not, they're not looking at you. I right? just like, okay, this is really creepy, man. Right. And so, but that's usually what happens. And um, so we sweep the village, nothing. And then we come back, the firefights over at the camp. We get back in and assess the damage realize now we got a helicopter that's disabled this land crash landed on the pad and we can't bring any other birds to exfil or infill so um so the mission was the next night was to go um back out and we were going to go a different direction another area that we thought the taliban were using as an infill route okay from a village probably about five, six kilometers away. They were using a certain certain avenue of approach, if you will, through the mountain and the terrain and uh, to to launch their attacks. So we were going to set up an ambush for them. So we're moving and we're actually take off and we're walking along the side of this uh, mountain. 
And uh, it's a small goat trail. I mean, it's about maybe, you know, I don't know, 36 inches wide, maybe, you know, and uh, it's slippery mud. You got water running down the side, you know, so it's the trail's really slippery muddy and uh, and it just drops back off, continues to go down. There's a lot of trees and stuff, but it's a drop off. And um, and below us, of course, there's a, a small river in the in the valley. And then we have the other mountainside uh, across from us that was about maybe 300 meters from us. So I remember that night we're walking, running night fishing, goggles, pitch black, you know, and uh, we're moving to where we've been intentionally put up uh, an ambush site and as we're moving along i remember my interpreter was behind me an afghan guy um his name was we call him hd for harley davidson he loved harley davidson's even though they don't have them there and he couldn't afford one he just was enamored by him so um hd was behind me and this is the first time he's ever been out with me at night on patrol and because um, we had quite a few different interpreters and um a good guy though i remember and uh, we're walking along all of a sudden i hear this boom <laughs> He slips and falls and falls over the cliff, right? <laughs> and, uh, and he falls down about 20, 25, 30 feet, man. He's laying down there on the side of a cliff, you know? And I turn around, I look down at him, and I'm like, HD, you okay? He goes, Yes, sir, I've fallen off the cliff. And I was like, Yeah, no shit, right? And, so, <laughs> and I look at him and do my night vision goggles. Everything looks kind of like green and gray, green and gray, right? And uh, I could see all this black mask underneath his night vision goggles running down his face right it was blood mm-hmm. and uh so we managed to get him back up and i i look at him and uh he had basically knocked his teeth out they, they actually went through his lips right they're wow. sticking out of his lips and stuff right <laughs> he was a he was a mess right and but he was cool right he was like you know i'm okay i'm okay now you're not okay man and uh i go what well, i said what happened you slipped he goes yes sir he goes you know he goes tonight was the first night i ever wore night vision goggles i go what right <laughs> If I would have known that, he would not have went out with us. I had no idea that he didn't know how to use nods, right? So he's wearing night vision goggles for the first time. And you, night vision goggles are kind of tricky because your depth perception is a little off, right? And you're looking through some tubes. So, you know, everything you're looking at, it's like looking through his toilet paper tubes, right? And it's green and gray, like looking through an aquarium. And um, so, my like, Jesus Christ, man. I said, what are you thinking? And uh, so we got the medic. He's over there working on patching him up. And then while they're working on the medic, um, we saw we had security guys watching the trail and everything and we saw a small fire burning across from us on the other uh on the other ridge line about 250 300 meters away and uh as we started noticing there's like a bunch of a bunch of guys moving around the campfire and uh we got more and more suspicious of it and then we could start seeing okay looks like they got ak-47s um and so we ended up calling in a uh close air support it happened to be i think it was an f-15 it was in the area he had a couple of jdams on him thousand pounders and um he happened to be just flying patrol and we call him up say hey listen we might have you know a target you know can you can you scan it and tell us what you see and he did which was amazing right the 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 capabilities of these aircraft he was so far out we couldn't even hear him he's so high up i mean he was way off and um and he's using his optics, his scanners, and he looks down, he goes, yeah, he goes, I see, I count 12 Taliban or 12 enemy fighters with AK-47s, right? right. And uh, around the campfire, they're basically roasting marshmallows and getting all yoked up for the, the next assault on the camp. I was like, damn, man, they're right there. So um, after we confirmed all everything, said, okay, you know, we're going to go ahead and drop a bomb on him. We, we lased him. We used a laser, put the laser on him. Um, he was, I don't know how many miles out he was. He was quite a ways out at high altitude. Like I said, you never heard the guy. Um, and basically, he used our laser to put his laser on him. 
Um, once he had his laser on it, he released his ordinance, and basically it was like, you know, 45 seconds to 60 second time of flight for this bomb, right? Before it made impact. <laughs> and we're all sitting there in the nods waiting for the show, you know. And man, when that thing hit, you know, freaking, it was amazing, man. The body parts and pieces were flying all over the place. You know, the, you can see it in the flash. You can see it later on in the uh, in the FLIR footage, uh, infrared, um, because all that was recorded too. What is it? What is it? Can you explain what it's like when a when a thousand? Because I mean, I was actually looking this up last night. They they break the JDAMs. They break sometimes. They break the sound barrier so that obviously the enemy won't hear it coming. They get going Mach one, Mach one point three. Let alone the kinetic warhead in it. What what is it yeah. like? Because I can watch videos all day, but from your experience, what is it? What is it like when it, when a JDAM hits a target? Well, in this case, right, because it was on an opposing ridgeline and, you know, so valley between us, when it hit, so just like any explosives, right, you get, uh, you get direct, um, you get a direct blast, you get a reflective blast off the side of the mountain, which bounces back over to us, right, you get what's called mock stem, which is basically, again, a, um, a blast wave that travels along the ground. Right. So, you know, you get all these blast waves together and they're actually reflecting off their wall and coming back to us. So in the ground is rumbling and you get a big blast of overpressure, you know. And uh, yeah, it's pretty scary. And, and, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine. And I've had friends, former friends that were in on the impact, uh, you know, point of impact for these JDAMs by accident. They, they were called in on them. The you know, people made a mistake called bombs on themselves. And literally there is, there's nothing left to find of them. There's nothing, no DNA. There's nothing. You're vaporized. Um, just, just the blast pressure is just amazing. It'll vaporize you literally. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's, um, it's a wake up call <laughs> and a good night call for a lot of these guys. But, um, um, but yeah, we did that, and then uh, you know, high five each other. All right, freaking mission accomplished, and we we go back to the base, and then the next morning, um, we had uh, they, so the army brought in, and I didn't know they had these kind of guys, but they brought in a pilot, and his specialty is to fly broken air, uh, broken helicopters, basically, <laughs> and uh, and so they lowered him in with a fast rope, got him down on the ground. And uh, and while they did that, they brought in a couple fast movers to fly, you know, close air support, basically just buzzing the low the ground around us, keep the Taliban's heads down because it's daylight now. And um, while that was going on, um, this guy got inside the helicopter and he cranked it up. His job was to fly this crippled helicopter back to uh, get it out of there and get it back to the base, right? Which I got to tell you, it takes some balls, man. You just, you know, you, you don't fly a damaged helicopter with a hole in it from RPG, right? And, uh, well, while that was going on, another group of 12 Taliban, broad daylight, decided they were going to come and get some payback for the night before. And they came around the corner, around the top of the ridge line, and they ran into the OP that was up the observation post. And they just mowed them all down, which was kind of cool, right? So so we got 12 more that day, you know, and then uh, got the helicopter out and uh, got everybody finally evacuated out of their mission success. Um, so that was a siege in uh, Barge, what they call Barge-e-Matal. Um, the next story I was going to go through was um, flipping through my my screen here on my computer. Um, this was going to be uh, all right. Seals, right? So talk about seals real quick. Um, 
back up on my page here. Here we go. Okay. Seals, one team, seals, one team, one fight, right? So I kind of put a little chapter in about seals, right? So it's actually kind of funny. Um, you know, look, okay, I don't hate seals. I got a lot of friends that are seals, right? And good friends that are seals. And, uh, you know, just like anything else, there's good ones and there's bad ones. Um, you know, I've got, I know some bad ones, total shit birds. Um, but, um, so the way where I was located at the time, we had, you know, we had our, our Afghan mercenaries and so the trend became where anytime the U S military did an operation, you want to have an Afghan face on it. Right. So it doesn't look like it's just U S military pounding people's ass. You know, it's like, Hey, we got your friends with us, you know, and they said, it's okay. And they're helping us. Right. Yeah. Kind of a, a diffusion responsibility, if you will. And so, um, the, the seals, all right, so let's put something in perspective here, right? So SEALs are SEALs. They, they do water ops stuff, right? And uh, Green Berets, okay, to me are the best special forces out there because Green Berets, first of all, you know, you take a 12-man team and you've got two heavy weapons, light, light and heavy weapons experts, you know, basically tacticians, milita- you know, military strategists. You've got uh, two engineers right they do everything from construction to explosives you've got two medicals two medics probably far the best best trained medics in the military hands down um and then you've got uh you got two combo guys that do all the communication satcom you name it man that's they are you know at&t rs and then you've got uh an intel nco right his job is basically um yeah, intelligence analysis, preparation of the battlefield. You know, he does, he's collecting and, and developing uh, that information. Then you've got the team sergeant um, that runs the whole team. You end up with a warrant officer who has mostly, he mostly works on uh, future plans and trainings, um, things like that. Um, and then you have a captain who is about as worthless as a, you know, tits on a, on a board. Literally, I say that, no disrespect to my friends that are captains out there, but what happens is they come to a special forces team basically to come along to sit in a seat for two years and watch us operate so that uh, when they become the company commander in charge of six teams, they know how they, what they're doing, right? And uh, But generally, they're not even, you know, they, they participate, but uh, um, even though they're the captain, they have very little, um, they have very little influence on the team. Just put it that way, right? The NCOs follow the senior NCO. I that was me at the time, and uh, I'm the I'm the team daddy. And uh, the captain, because we know he's just here and he's coming in for a minute and he's leaving. He really doesn't get a whole lot of uh, doesn't have a whole lot of authority, even though he does technically um, by his rank. Um, not to anybody's disrespectful. It's like just shut up, Captain. Sit in the corner. Don't touch any buttons. You yeah, pull any levers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and don't steal any government pins. And, and we'll be all right. And you'll you'll go on. And you'll get promoted right as a hero. And so uh, <laughs> so that's how the team. But the team um, teams are you know special. They specialize in different areas. First of all, they're all rucksack teams. Meaning, meaning they carry rucksacks. They go out. And you know, jungle warfare, winter for, war, warfare, desert warfare. Uh, my particular team was a. Um, we were a water infiltration team, so we did a lot of um, surface uh, infiltration, whether it was by boats, surface swimming over the horizon, infiltration, riverine ops, things like that. Um, we were a permissive halo team, meaning we jumped free fall, military free fall. Um, we were a what they called at the time a DMV team, which is a um, basic desert mobility vehicle. We had uh, four uh, desert Humvees, all right, for uh, desert patrolling and stuff like that. Um, so we had, you know, we had several, we basically had four missions, which is very unusual for my special, for a special forces team. Um, we were a Portuguese spe- speaking team. My team, uh, our area of specialty was Angola. 
um, because it used to be a Portuguese colony. And then the other one was uh, our other area of responsibility was Iraq. So, um, but in the in our organization, we get a lot of those guys, and they're perfect for this job because our job is to um, go out and recruit, train, um, feed, arm, you know, and then lead into combat you know local local guys farmers sheep herders make them into soldiers mercenaries and uh and there's a there's a methodology to that right winning hearts and minds and how do you do all that right you got to make them loyal to you right and so um we were really good at that and a lot of the guys in my organization were with me were really good at that because that was our background but seals don't have that background and so they wanted it they wanted to use our guys it's like well the only way you can use our guys is we got to go with them um and basically we command them Uh, you tell us what you tell me what you need and then we'll make that happen right so we always had these issues because you know you got to think about these seals a lot of these seals didn't come from a combat they don't they don't come from combat arms background mm-hmm. they come in from as cooks clerks jerks you know mechanics whatever you and also they want to be a seal they go through buds and voila they're superheroes right and uh but they have no background in training in uh foreign internal defense uw type stuff that a green beret does and so um, when it comes to pushing troops you know it's an art okay it's really an art and and to be honest with you all our guys our mercenary our afghans hated them they hated them because of the way they treated them and talked to them um i mean i've seen it right i mean i've i've seen where we're on the objective right and i got seals yelling at my guys do this do that and i've literally had my guys go no I don't listen to you. I listen to Mr. Dale. What do you say, Mr. Dale? <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. funny. I've, Loyalty. I've seen him actually. I've actually seen him stop and do that on the objective. Like, damn, you know. And uh, and because they they just did not like him because these guys treated them like they're basic trainees. You know, talk down to them, and that's not what you do. You gotta you talk with them. You, they're not your peers. Okay, they're not your equals. They respect you as their as their trainer, their mentor, the guy that's paying them their paycheck and feeding them, right? Taking care of them and their families. They re- you got to earn their respect. And when they earn your respect and you treat them like they have value and you actually give them latitude to make decisions, especially their commanders, um, and you just act as an advisor. Now you just said, I'm just your advisor now. Just, this is your show, guys. This, but this is what we need to have done. When you do that, you, they, they work for you. Mm-hmm. But when you yell at them and, you know, degrade them and belittle them, it, then it does not. In fact, then they get very angry and bad things can actually come out mm-hmm. of that, right? So you got to hand them with, you know, kind of click, kick gloves. And that's what we did. But that's not what the SEALs can do. And uh, we had a lot of problems with that. Um, so not that the SEALs are bad guys, but they were outside their skill sets. Okay. How do you take guys that do Merops, Oceans type stuff, and suddenly you put them in the desert with Afghans? Finally, it doesn't work, man. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So that was our role as advisors to kind of help manage that. Um, and it's not just SEALs. We actually had um, we had a special forces team come in, group, you know, that never been to, hadn't been in theater. They wanted to use our guys. And it's like, eh, they want to do some high-speed ops. Like, I actually had to go out with them the first time on, on a mission and just vet their operations and see how they perform and what they do. Before I, we allowed them to use our guys, and they had to use them with us. Um, and they actually—they're actually the ones that found themselves in um, the the guy, the team from uh, um, Lone Survivor oh, was yeah. from that element. Was from that element, right? So they actually went out finally without us, 
right? And try to <laughs> bit off way more than they were ready for. And uh, the, and they went to the most dangerous place on the planet, the Korngal, which I'm going to go into here in a second. So a little bit about seals. So I remember one day, um, <laughs> I, I, I come in, I come back in theater to the office, right? And I rotated out for a couple months, took a break, came back. And then when I showed up in the office, you know, my, my contemporaries were in there, a couple of guys. And they're, hey, welcome back. We're chit-chatting. I go, what's new? And they go, oh, wow, you know, we got, we got some SEALs here now with us, you know, like five SEALs, right? And uh, yeah, you got five SEALs that are attached to us right now, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and so while we're sitting there, I uh, asked one of the guys, what are you looking at? And he's watching a YouTube video of all these chicks doing like CrossFit, right? And they're lifting, you know, 45 pounds. They're jumping up and down, you know, and they're looking pretty good. And I go, wow, that's pretty cool, you know? And uh yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's kind of mesmerized. But I'm not sure if we were mesmerized by the by the the exercise or the chicks, right? Yeah. But everybody, everybody's glued. It's like, okay, cool. And then uh, one of the one of the guys goes, "Hey, man, let me just kind of you know show you around, take you to your your uh, you know your your hooch, and uh, you know introduce you to some of the guys." So we go to the gym, and all the seals are in there working out, right? And uh, and I walk in, I'm looking, he goes, "Yeah, this is a gym, you know," and uh, you know. And he didn't tell me they were the seals yet, but I knew they were right. And he goes, "Yeah, you know, um, this, this is our gym. You know, these are you know guys working out, blah blah blah." And uh, I go, "Are these guys doing that CrossFit that we just saw on the video?" <laughs> right? And, and he's like, uh, "I don't know." I go, "Yeah, because." It actually looks like the girls were lifting more weights, right? <laughs> and I just said it with a straight face, like I was like dumb and serious, right? They all. They all stopped and looked at me. I go, okay, now I'll go to my room now. Let's go. So we take <laughs> off, right? <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, we had so. I mean, it was good, you know, working with those guys. I mean, um, you know, there was there was a lot. I can tell you, man, there's a lot of issues. Um, nobody wants to talk about it, but, you know, it's coming out. Um, you know, they don't play well with others, not because there's, you know, all that. It's just uh, different mindsets, um, you know, different types of uh, regimentation, uh, you know, military backgrounds, a lot of that has to come to play. Right. And, uh, and just personalities, you know, not everybody's just a very nice guy, you know, they're a dick, no matter who they are, whether they're a seal or a Delta guy. Um, so let's see. Um, I am going to go into, uh, the next one, which is lobster fest. Well, and we'll stop on that one. So, um, no, I remember this story. I remember reading it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so this actually, so what happened was, um, we were fortunate in that we had we had actually contract cooks from Europe that were cooking for us, right? And that was a far far cry from the early days. The early days, we had no cooks. I mean, it was nasty shit, man, that we were eating, you know, just whatever we could slop together. Maybe some Afghan guy would come over and, you know, boil some chicken for us or something. It was bad. And, uh, and then in time with money and as this whole um, the, the whole operation started to evolve. We ended up with a uh, basically a contract chef from Europe. Each each site had one, right? And so the the idea was, you know, make sure everybody's eating well, get mm-hmm. good food, and we all had a gym facility so we could work out and take care of our health, and eat well, right? That's morale. And uh, so we ate pretty good, man. You know, every Friday was steak and lobster night. You know, and uh, there was always food laid out all day and all night. You could just go in like a like you know the Golden Corral, man. Just scoop it all up. You know, it's yeah. like man, just so much food, right? Um, but that was his main job was to cook for us, and he did, and it was good. And um, this one particular night, I think it was a Friday night, we were going to go do an op that uh, later on that night up in the Corn Gall, which 
uh, as I mentioned, mentioned a minute ago, is probably at the time was probably the most dangerous place in the world. It is where uh, the lone survivor incident happened. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff that happened up there, and uh, the the small cops that were in that area were constantly getting you know engaged. Um, a lot of ambushes. Um, it was bad because you really had to you had to work your way up into the mountain, you know, and it's called the Corngall Valley. So you had to get up in Corngall Valley, and then uh, you know get up in these areas and uh, very hilly terrain, very wooded, very rough terrain. And uh, so tonight we had a guy, we had a target. Um, we've been kind of chasing this guy around for a while, and what he did was he never slept in his home. At night, he would leave and go sleep somewhere in the woods away from his home. He was always paranoid we're going to come and get him, right? So we didn't know where he slept out there. <clears throat> but uh, we had intel that he might be in his house tonight, um, in his compound. So the mission was essentially we're going to load up, we're going to drive, you know, basically this very dangerous route up into that area. We're going to dismount the vehicles, and then we're going to move by foot, okay, under night vision goggles, up to his to his objective now we were on one side of this mountain and we parked the cars over here he was on the side of another mountain and what we had to do was go down a very deep ravine um down into this valley across the river and then come up and he was basically you know on the military ridge line uh of this military of the of the of the mountain on the side there right so we had to work our way back up. So now we're working our way up a trail and then we're gonna try to, you know, catch this guy surprise and, and then him him up and catch him. And uh, so that was basically the plan. So we drive and things were things started working out, didn't go well right off the bat, man. So I'm wearing my night vision goggles. We're all wearing night vision goggles. We're driving and now I've got a malfunction with my goggles. Right, and it's like one side goes out, and I'm flying, you know, like a cyclops with one, you know, down this bumpy road, right? And then the other one goes out, and I got no eyes, like shit, you know, with my goggles just shit the bed. So, and I didn't have a backup pair, so I had my, the other guy drive while I sat in the passenger seat, and it's pitch black. It's pitch black out there, right? And I can't see nothing, man. And uh, and we get to the objective, we get out, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm gonna go on this blind, man, literally, you know, and so. Um, we line everybody up. We start moving down the side of this hill, and uh, we're working our way down. It's a long ways down and very steep, and uh, and even going downhill, it was very hot at the time, even at night. You know, so you're sweating your balls off. You got all your gear on. I always wore my armor, all of it. Um, some guys just went with, uh, you know, with the chicken plates. You know, me, I kind of, I kind of wore the whole vest, man, and with my low bearing equipment. It's like, you know what? If it's too heavy, I'll spend more time in the gym until it's not too heavy, right? So I had never had a problem carrying my all my armor, and so, but it got hot, you know, carrying it, even going down a hill. And so we get down this hill, and finally we stop in this one area. As we're, as we're moving along, we're constantly looking and scanning, you know, down ahead of us over at the objective. And uh, by the way, the straight line distance from our drop off point to the target was 300 meters 300 meters straight line but we had to go down yeah. this hill and then go back up this hill so now it became and it was like forever man what we thought would it be would take us maybe you know 30 to 45 minutes turned out to be a, a movement over three hours just one way um right and so we get down and we're like halfway down we stop in like on a little flat area and uh, everybody just kind of sits down for a second take a break you know catch a breath and uh, I'm sitting there going, man, it smells like sewer here, man. It smells like shit. It was. And it was what it was. It was human shit. Apparently, that's where they 
you know, the locals went over to take a dump and piss right there's little area we were in, right? Because there were like little compounds, little little huts here and there, right? And uh, I'm like, fuck, man, you know, we're sitting in the shit and uh, I'm wearing flight gloves. Now, I've always made a point to wear my gloves, right? Flight gloves. And um, I didn't touch my mouth with my gloves or anything like that. If I got to touch anything, um, I'm going to take my gloves off, right? And my hands are sterile, you know, and we'll do what I got to do to my body, my face, my drinking tube, whatever, and then put my gloves back on. Well, I don't know what I did, but somehow, apparently, I contaminated my drinking tube, all right, when I put it in my mouth for my gloves. I don't know what happened, but somehow I'm, I did something. Something went wrong because probably within 20 minutes, my stomach started rumbling, started gurgling, and I, oh my God, I'm getting ready to have shit in my pants. I'm getting ready to throw up, and uh, and I'm dehydrated. I drank all my water, all of it, right? I mean, I was got really dehydrated, and uh, we get down to the bottom finally, and now we're working way up, and I thought, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to make it up this hill. But I'm not going to be the one that goes, hey, guys, I'm pushing out, you know, because there's only a couple of us Americans and the rest were Afghans. And uh, so anyways, um, and we carried the heaviest weight, too, the, the Americans, just because, you know, we carried radios and all kinds of crap. The Afghans were pretty slick. They wore their, you know, they wore their chicken plates and AK-47 and a few magazines. The rest of us, we, you know, we were, you know, yeah. weighted down like freaking meal, meals. But um, so finally we get we get up to the objective and. uh and I'm like done, man. My head's spinning. I'm dehydrated. I'm gonna shit in my pants. I'm gonna throw up, you know. And I'm just trying to hold it together. I'm thinking, man, we got a mission to do here. And I'm like, you know, I'm shaking, you know, I'm sweating, you know. And uh, so, boom, we go right. We can only get it. We can't surround the place. We got to just go straight in and then kind of, you know, blossom out and take over everything. So we run in and and we start, you know rolling people up and all we got is a bunch of old men and women, you know, and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, and we got basically what we call the dry holes, like nada, nothing's here, right? And uh, so I'm on the outside, on the far side of the the, the small little compound area, little village area, and, uh, and I just have to sit down. I'm like, I'm I'm going to pass out if I don't. I just got to sit here for a minute, catch my breath, try to regroup before it's time to go back because now we got to go all the way back and up this mountain, right? And so I'm sitting there, and we got a plane flying around above us, um, you know, basically with uh, all kinds of night vision sensors and stuff like that, you know, radios. And he's high in the sky watching, right? And he's illuminating everything with infrared light. And I'm sitting there by myself, you know, my guys are all running around searching stuff, you know, and, you know, they're over there dealing with, uh, you know, the personnel under control. And I flip my nods down and I notice there's this mound of something in front of me, um, about 50 meters, you know, like a bunch of bushes, which kind of looked out of place. You know, like a cluster of bushes, like right here, you know, and when there's nothing anywhere else. And uh, and then I noticed uh, I, the bird turns IR light was kind of shining on there, you know, and then he kind of lifted up and he flew away. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I was like, that looks really weird, man, really strange. And part of me thought maybe I should just go over there and just investigate it, you know, and see what's going on. And then I thought, man, I can't. I can't barely get up, man. I, I, I'm not getting scared. Like, how am they going to get me out of here? Because he, he can't carry me out of here. He can't get a helicopter in here. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, right? And so um, I'm just trying to conserve all the energy I can get. And so I kept thinking, like, something my intuition kept telling me, you need to look at that, that whatever that is, that cluster of bushes, right? And I thought, ah, you're overthinking it, Comstock. There's this, this cluster of bushes, right? And so I, I didn't, I dismissed it, right? I just told sick. If I was probably healthy, I probably would have went over there and looked at it and I probably would have regretted it. Um, it would have been a bad night for me. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. So 
So we end up, okay, it's time to, to get off the target and uh, everybody starts pulling back. We line up and we start, we start a movement back down the, down the hill to the river, up the hill, right? And I got to the point where I could move maybe, maybe 50 meters and I would have to stop and sit down. I was out in front at first, and then I would just stop and sit down, and I just wave the guys, go by, go by, go by. And like 10 guys would go by, go, hold on. And I get back up and I start walking again. 15 minutes stop, you know, okay, go by, go by. 10 more guys would go. Before you know it, I'm the last guy in the in the element, right? And uh, and I can't move. And uh, the two Americans that were with me were like, hey, man, you know, let us carry your gear, man. You know, just get you up here and get you going, because I knew I was going down. And uh, they wanted to carry my armor, my 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 uh, my ammunition, all my stuff. I go, no, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll do it, man. You know, and uh, I'll make it happen, right? I'm not going to have them carry my shit. And so they finally lifted me on my feet, and I basically, I finally made it to the top. I don't know how I did. Um, it took all I had. And by the way, I'm not wearing night vision goggles, so I see I can't see crap. In fact, when I was sitting on the objective, um, I was kicking my hitting my goggles when I put them back on and they were kind of flicking on and off. I had like one little tube mm-hmm. and that's why everything kept looking kind of weird to me, right? And uh, and then it would it'd flash out on me. And I thought it was the batteries. I replaced the batteries, but nothing was happening. So I had goggles, you know, but they weren't working unless I kind of tapped on them for a while and then one light would come on for a second and it kind of, you know, flutter, mm-hmm. flutter a little bit and go out. So that kind of added to my confusion the whole time. And finally, I just had to help the goggles. I'm just going to go, you know, you know, um, manually. <laughs> and so we finally get to the trucks and all I could think about was I got to get to my truck. There's water in it. And I got to turn that air conditioner on. Mm-hmm. I am soaking wet and overheated. Right. And my stomach's growling. Um, I said, I just got to sit down. I just got to sit down. So I run to my truck, I get in the passenger seat and I grab a bottle of water and just start chugging it. Um, and I get the air conditioner on, you know, and we're getting ready to pull off. And and then the other American who was with me jumps in the driver's seat and our interpreter gets in the back seat. And we're driving these armored, armored uh, pickup trucks. So you can't roll the windows down. Right. You can't. And, I mean, you crack up about two inches. And that's yeah. it because, of the, you know, and so, there's, you know, you can't get the windows down. So I got to turn the air conditioner on. And uh, next thing you know, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. And I just start projectile vomiting all over this truck on the inside, man. Right? And I mean, literally projectile vomiting. <laughs> Shit was going everywhere. Dashboard. <laughs> uh, you're making, uh, it was you're making me nauseous. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. And and I remember it. So earlier for dinner, steak and I had lobster. lobster. I had steak and lobster, right? And so there was a, this very dis- <laughs> distinct fishy smell. You know? <laughs> and uh, My and eyes are watering, like, dude. I, you're yeah. making me nauseous. And I was like, I'm so sorry, guys, man. I apologize. And we're going to have to drive back for a couple hours, you know, in this truck smelling my vomit right and uh and they're like it's okay man you know they they, they knew is they knew the deal right just got to suck this one up Ugh. and uh so we dude, i'm just laid out and i'm the whole time i'm laying there i'm thinking man all we need now is to get ambushed and i gotta fight feeling like this and blind right <laughs> and i was thinking please 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 don't let that happen you know <laughs> and so nothing happened fortunately which was our to our surprise nothing happened because normally it does we get back to the camp and as soon as the truck stops i said stop right here in front of my my hooch i got out and just started making a beeline for the building right and uh as i'm moving then you know, we got some lights as i go into the um into the into the building i look down and go what the hell is that and I'm looking at my chest rack, you know, all my ammo stuff, and I see, uh. I see what I see what looks like um, 
you know, when you chew up an orange, you know, orange piece and you spit it out, it looked like like chewed up orange pieces all over my chest and my vest and my gun, right? Even in my optics on my gun, I had all these chunks. It actually was lobster. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I got lobster all where I'm wearing lobster all over me, right? And I was just a big freaking mess. And I thought, you know what? The hell with it. I went right to the latrine to the shower. With all my gear on, I just turned the shower on. I stood in the shower with my gun, my gear, everything. I just hosed myself down until I got it clean. I, I got my gear off, and I literally went lay down. I wake up for three days, man. Um, I was just a wreck. I had lost so much water. Um, I don't know if I got it from sitting in that freaking in that Sew. little cesspool of shit sewage, you know, or if it was bad lobster. But whatever it was, dude, it, it it messed me up really bad for those for the next three days. Um, but uh, so then we find out. All right. So what was in this bushes? Right. What, what was all that about? Turns out there were 12 Pakistani fighters hiding in a hole and they camouflaged themselves with these bushes underneath it. So they, they knew we were coming. They all ran and jumped to the hole and they were waiting. Right. Oh, and and so had I gone over there like I almost did. And if I had gone over to take a close look, you know, with my gun light looking at what was going on, I probably would have, I probably got shot right in the face. Oh, yeah. You know, unless I would have known they were in and I could drop the grenade in there. But, uh, you know, who knows how that could have turned out. But there were actually 12 Pakistani fighters that were there and they were meeting with the guy we were looking for. Um, They were having a meeting. Right. And, uh, you know, Pac- there were Pakistanis were all the time. You know, there were guys coming over fighting us. And uh, so if anybody thinks Pakistan wasn't involved, it's bullshit. They were. Um, we killed quite a few of those assholes. And uh, and so they were going to have a meeting when they, we showed up. They all ran into their little hole to hide out. And uh, the only reason they got away is because I was just too sick to go over there and see what's going on. You know, and, and uh, maybe, I just wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. So maybe that maybe that was the good Lord watching over you. <laughs> I don't know, man. Make you so sick, Dale, that you can't go engage. Whew, that was a that was uh, I tell you what that was a memorable night, <laughs> and uh, you uh, you lit- no exaggeration you actually just killed my appetite. I was thinking, what am I going to go have for <laughs> breakfast after this podcast? And I'm not, lobster. <laughs> no, fuck you, Dale. Fuck. Oh you. my god. God. Yeah, I was. Jesus. I, I, I'm like, what is this stuff on my weapon? Right, my my optics had it was all clumped up on my optics, and all right, my I gun get was it. Covered. I get it, Dale. I, I, I fuck you. <laughs> I remember reading your book last March before you came on. I was on. like, I don't remember eating oranges. And then I was like, oh, shit, lobster. Dude, I, I vividly remember the first time you ever came on, episode 50, March 2020. I was reading American Badass. I literally remember I was like reading it on the toilet. I was reading that chapter and I was getting nauseous. And a year and a month later, I'm getting just as nauseous hearing the story. It's just the heat, the lobster, the sewage, the clam. Uh, Jesus yeah. Christ in heaven, dude. Yeah, it was it was a bad night for me. Um, could have been could have ended up worse, I guess. But yeah, uh, no, I mean you could have died. Yeah, Jesus Christ. But, um, anyways, that's my lobster fest story. And well, uh, well that was uh, well, you. You've. <laughs> That was the only time you can ever tell that story. That's yeah. That that uh, that's now banned from this podcast. That's uh, but uh, next next time we're gonna talk. Uh, we'll start with uh, just so we don't forget. We're gonna talk about my story about being an Afghan cowboy, which is actually funnier than shit. Um, yeah, yeah, has to do yeah. with horses. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll go into that next time around. Fuck yeah. So. Well, we'll do that. Dale Comstock, author of American Badass, uh, it'll be in the link. Stick it in the top. The link will be in the description. Stick it in the top comment. Well, I don't. I don't. I can't stick it anymore because I'm not on YouTube. Um, also, yeah, 
uh, Dale and Joe came and we went shooting last week and got about nine hours of footage. And uh, I'm just sorting through like one minute at a time and just finding good little clips because no one wants to sit down and watch nine hours. Right, so right, right, right. I'm, just, I'm just finding little clips of just like shooting and shit and I'm uploading those piecemeal. Um, but um, yeah. And uh, hold on, let's uh, let's stop let's stop recording. And uh, I gotta I want to talk to you for a second, not not just personal shit. So uh, three, two.